Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 189. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Well, I'm so thrilled to have on my show today Donald Phillips. He's known for his ability to tell stories and bring history alive with a crisp, compelling prose. I love his work. He's I came across him when his trilogy in American Leadership, his first one, Lincoln on Leadership, and the Founding Fathers in Leadership, two of that are... I go to on my library all the time, and also Martin Luther King Jr., and all of those have won worldwide acclaim. And again, his first book, Lincoln on Leadership, helped pave the way toward the creation of an entire new genre of books on historical leadership, and he's been the author of over 20 books. He's an internationally known speaker and leadership consultant. He's been on several uh, media talk shows and television shows, and he's got tons of leadership experience, real world, and I'm anxious to hear all about it. Don, welcome to The Dose of Leadership. Uh, thank you, Richard. It's great to be here. Well, again, I told you, you know, before we started um, the recording that I've been a fan of your work. I came across the Founding Fathers in Leadership first, and then I then I went to Lincoln on Leadership. I like your story, though, in the beginning and how how you came across to actually writing Lincoln on Leadership. But uh, you were at a point in your career where you were trying to figure out leadership on your own, and that's kind of what prompted you to, to gravitate towards Lincoln. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I was a middle uh, middle level manager in uh, corporate America in the energy business, and uh, you know I I got promoted out of uh, the technical end and uh, found out that uh, managing and leading people wasn't as easy as it looked, and I wasn't exactly natural at it. But if you back then, if you wanted to get promoted in corporate uh, America, you really had to go uh, into management because they didn't have the why, where you could go up in the technical end back then. So I, I really had to try to get better. And they would send me to a lot of uh, uh, business schools, you know, and try to teach me, quote, management. And I didn't like a lot of what they were uh, saying, you know, because it, it seemed contrary to treating people the right way. So I started looking for a better a better example. And uh, I had always had a, an, an interesting history. Um, it started with, with my mom, who um, grew up in Western Massachusetts and was a big history buff, and she used to tell me stories about, you know, John Adams and the and Sam Adams and the Sons of Liberty. And when I was six years old, I thought she knew those guys uh, right. <laughs> personally. Yeah, and uh, and then when we we lived in uh, Virginia, uh, Northern Virginia, my my dad was in the army and so stationed at the Pentagon, so. We were around the D.C. area a lot, and she used to drag me to all of the Civil War battlefields and the, the monuments, things like that. So, anyway, I had I had this uh, interest in history from uh, way back, and uh, I just grabbed a book about Lincoln and took it on one of these uh, seminars that I was going on, and uh, they were teaching us back then about uh, managing by wandering around, which was... I think coined by Tom Peters in 1992's book uh, *In Search of Excellence*. It might have been, you know, before '92, uh, but it was in the '80s. And uh, then I was reading that Lincoln was out in, uh, visiting his generals in the field all the time, and 
I said, well, gee, this doesn't sound like such a new business or management principle that Lincoln was doing. And so right. I started reading more about um, Lincoln, and I actually went looking for a book about Lincoln's management or leadership style, and there hadn't been one written. So I started collecting uh, information, and I started seeing patterns and things like that, and I started trying some of this stuff, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> so then, then I got, I just kind of got really hooked and interested in uh I wrote a couple of papers that were well-received, and I was encouraged to do more. And, and uh, I started working on uh, a book, and, you know, eight years and 17 rejections later, I finally got it published. <laughs> Beautiful. I love the tenacity to get it published. But you're right. You know, I think Lincoln is, um, well, he's such a beloved figure now, but it's, what's interesting, and, and uh, I knew this even, too, before Lincoln, before I read Lincoln on Leadership, but he wasn't a popular man uh, back then when he was first starting out, was he? I mean, there was a lot of people that just really vilified the man, um, and I don't think a lot of people remember that aspect of it when it comes to Lincoln. Well, you know, you mean when he became president? Yeah, when he became what president. Referring yeah. To? He, mm -hmm. yeah, well, you got to remember that when, um, simply because he became president and half the nation seceded, yeah. I mean, he was elected... Uh, he was elected with a plurality, didn't get a majority of the popular vote, but he, of course, won the Electoral College handily. Um, but he, um, you know, he he, uh, he took the oath. He was elected in November of 1860, but he didn't take office until January, of, or actually March of 1861, which was four months back then. And in those four months, Seven states seceded from the Union to form the Confederate States of America. Right. And uh, they were out. I mean, they formed their own Congress, had their own Constitution, installed Jefferson Davis as president before Lincoln took the oath of office. Yeah, seized federal property and um, all that stuff. So they, yeah, a lot of, yeah, they took a lot of federal property and forts and arsenals and so on. And then they took, uh, they took uh, control of the Mississippi River, which back then was the lifeblood of the nation's commerce and trade. So he was in a really bad situation. And to say that they didn't like him is an understatement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And what a leadership challenge for sure. So what, what is it about the man that you think, and especially uh, you're always kind of fascinated with him, but what did you learn as you went down deeper? What kind of surprised you? What really made you say, man, this was a great leader? Well, you know, first of all, with him, he was extremely intelligent and and thoughtful. He didn't uh, he didn't jump to conclusions, and he he uh, also had this tremendous common sense. I mean, he was he's not only a scholar, but he was really a people person, and he understood people very well. And I think that's what set him apart in the long run um, with uh, with his ability to lead during that that time of terrible crisis, and he was able to combine a couple of things. Uh, one was the ability to get things done, really a drive to achieve, uh, and, and still care about people at the same time. Um, and that's not as easy as it sounds. I mean, yeah. you know, if you look in business today, you, you see over the years, you've seen a lot of people come in, uh, executives in corporate America, that are companies that are in trouble, and they come in and they, they fire everybody and and are only concerned about the bottom line, and they end up not doing very well in the long run, or their companies end up not doing well in the long run. By the majority, I would say most of them are that way. And then you have people who, who care so much about people that they, they can't bring themselves to 
you know, tell somebody that they're not doing a good job. Right, so exactly. they, they, they care too much and they, you know, they don't get things done and generally they're, they fail or their organizations fail. So it's that balance that, that really, um, struck me and people liked Lincoln. You know, people who were around him liked him. He was able to mobilize the team. Um, and, uh, and he was able to put people on his team who were very different, very headstrong, very bright. And and work with them. You know, it's that it's the Doris Kearns Goodwin book. You know, Team of Rivals. Yes. Um, I saw I saw that early on, and it really struck me how he could put people in his cabinet who were um, both Democrats and Republicans, former members of the Whig Party. You know, I'm conservatives. I mean, you know, liberal type. If you wanted to classify it that way today, but that's what he did, and it, it's really remarkable that he. He didn't have a problem with with that, and he dealt with them as they as they came. Yeah, and it was an intentional act, which I I find remarkable. You're absolutely right. He did that by intention. He's you know the more that uh, I guess he felt it was their obligation to challenge him. He that's what he thought was going to get uh, the best results. So that that is highly admirable. And you're absolutely right. The the kind of um, intensity of will combined with this kind of Humility, <clears throat> humility, and empathy, I guess, for for others is a remarkable combination. It kind of reminds me of Jim Collins uh, when he talks about level five leadership and good to great. I mean, it really he definitely fit that mold of someone who was mm-hmm. intense about uh, achievement, but it was he he knew that you could only do it with he couldn't do it by himself. He had to do it for it wasn't about him; it was about the common good. Yeah, exactly. And he, he, uh, he talked a lot about that to people every chance he got, you know, about what they were fighting for and, and why he was, uh, basically forcing the Civil War and, um, you know, went out and built relationships with the soldiers, um, visited them when they, when they were training and coming and camping along the Potomac River and, you know, would, uh, would, as they paraded down, uh, Washington on their way to the front, he would stand on the, the balcony of the Willard Hotel, and and you know, wave to them and and salute them, and and make sure that they they knew uh, what they were fighting for. And it's really interesting. There's a there's an old story. He was actually doing that on the Willard Hotel ba- balcony, and uh, it started to rain. And and uh, I think John Hay, his assistant, said, "You need to come in, Mr. President. It's raining." He said, "No, if they can stand it, so can I." And he stayed out there in the rain, and they saw that. Yeah, and it, it's it's amazing too that he was out there frequently visiting people to find out what was going on himself. And while he was out there, he was always working to build relationships with with everybody, the soldiers, the, the generals, and so on. And what I found really interesting, kind of a punctuation point, is that four years later, when he ran for re-election, he made sure that the soldiers were able to vote in the field. Mm. And um, he was Lincoln was running against George McClellan, who was a right. general, His general, right? You're a uh, former general, yeah. And Lincoln is the one that got ninety percent of the Union soldiers' vote. <laughs> wow! And because he had built a he had built a relationship with him, and they trusted him. You know, it is the 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 relationship with McClellan and him is is surprising to me. You know, because McClellan was such a Oh, how would you characterize him? He was so um, 
he wasn't aggressive enough, I guess. And it seemed like Lincoln put up with him for for a long time. I mean, that really was kind of one of Lincoln's thorn in his side for quite a while at the beginning of the Civil War, was it not? Well, when he finally gave McClellan a chance, yeah, he he uh, he treated all of his generals the same way. He he uh, gave them great respect and went to see them and offered to support them and asked them to put together a plan and and uh, and then you know take action. And McClellan did all of that except take action. Right. And he was really good at he was really good at building up the troops. And he was he, he was great at training them, and you know he was was fantastic at that to tell you the truth. And by the you know he was by the time General Grant actually took over, Grant had five hundred thousand men at his disposal, and that was largely due to McClellan's work and uh, recruiting and training. Um, but McClellan just simply wouldn't take action, and the first the first general war order, which was when I went through Lincoln's. Um, collected works. It, it, it was interesting to me how few orders there were. But one of the first orders that he gave was General War Order Number 1, which basically ordered McClellan into action. Right. Uh, because he wouldn't, he wouldn't fight on his own. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is, uh, he, didn't, he didn't have to do that with Grant when he finally got Grant in there. That's right. You know, and I think that's, you hit it on the head, I think that's probably why he stuck with McClellan as long as he did, because um, McClellan was so good at and he was pretty popular at the time with the army, like as you said, with with its soldiers. And he was probably Lincoln was probably worried about morale and everything. And and you're absolutely right. And I think I think he was quoted. I might get this wrong, but Lincoln was saying if he can't fight himself, he excels in making others ready to fight. I think that was kind of the the synopsis mm-hmm. that he had of McClellan. But no, it's just it's just interesting. So what? Tell me, you've written about so many others. Um, the Founding Fathers, Martin Luther King. I haven't read the Martin Luther King book. I'm anxious to get on that because he is such a, again, another level five leader. What are the similarities and the differences between Lincoln and Martin Luther King? Well, uh, basically, you just pick up Lincoln and you transport him 100 years into the future. Yeah. It's the same thing. Dr. King was was exactly the same type of leader only in a different age. And um, you know, first thing you, you notice is, you know, I mentioned how often Lincoln was out in the field. Well, King was always out in the yeah, field. Yeah, that's too. where you always saw him, yeah. You know, wherever wherever, wherever uh, he needed to be, he, he went out there. And whether it was in Birmingham or Memphis or, you know, wherever, he was just always out there. And he also was, um, he, he also was a people person. He really understood people. I mean, he had a degree in sociology, and he was a, he was a pastor, he was a minister. So that his, his business was people business, and, and I have, I always say that leadership is a people business. And if you really want to be a good leader, you really need to to understand people and to take the time to to uh, build relationships with them and work with them and listen to them um, makes a big difference. So those those are two things that they had in common. And he also was somebody who could he had this tremendous drive to get something done. But also cared at the same time, right? And and that really that really came across. And and he also was very very bright, bright, a bright person. Uh, other things they had in common were they were both great speakers, and terrific speakers, and terrific writers. You know, great communicators in their own right. I mean, think about it. Uh, Lincoln didn't have a speechwriter. He wrote all of his own speeches. And if you think, you know, <laughs> the Gettysburg Address to the Second Inaugural. 
uh, these things came out of Lincoln's head. And then you look at Dr. King's work with the I Have a Dream speech, which was basically delivered extemporaneously, the most famous passages. Uh, It's remarkable um, how similar they were. And my my idea was to um, write this, this trilogy early on, and I, I, after I got going with Lincoln and I finally got it published, I, I, I next did the uh, Founding Fathers book, and then um, that started to do pretty well, and then the publisher asked me, what did I want to do next? And I, I said, well, I really want to do a, a, a book about the third revolution in American history, which is a civil rights movement. I want to do a book on Martin Luther King Jr., and they, they said, well, you know, we just signed this deal with the King family to um, uh, to publish Dr. King's works and uh, big video, not video, but audio tape series and so on. And so they had the connections with, with the King family, and they told me that that uh, they would love to do this book and publish it if I would work with them, and they, they could hook me up with, with the Kings, because, you know, you had... You had to have uh, permission to use Dr. King's sure, yeah. words back then, and uh, and so that kind of I don't know it kind of kind of uh, I kind of fell into it. It was a it was a really a lucky lucky opportunity. So I guess you know, and you, you wrote Lincoln on Leadership in 1992, and you mentioned when you were coming, you couldn't really find any books on leadership. And I think I remember reading somewhere correctly when you published Lincoln on Leadership, they didn't even know where to put the book. And I know I get this a lot when people find this show, Dose of Leadership. They think it's a business podcast, but I but I always tell people that, that it's so much more than just business. There seems to be a large vacuum in leadership, and I don't know if that's always been the case because good leaders are so rare, or if it's because I'm, you know, I'm so entrenched in it. I, I think about it, study about it, write about it every day. But what do you think the big difference is between now and 2014, as compared to, say, the found, <clears throat> the founding, and even in Lincoln's time about how people viewed leadership? Is it always been the same, or, or are we worse off now than we were uh, 230 years ago? Um, well, what really changed things was, you know, Lincoln was the last great leader before industrial change. It was the industrial age that that changed uh, how people work with people. And when the industrial age came along, all of a sudden we had business management. Right. And, you know, that was how to tell people what to do along the assembly lines and so on. And management became the big thing. And business management became the thing. Corporations were looking at it. And you know, when I started uh, studying Lincoln, you know, I I didn't hear any of him talking about business. I I heard him only talking about people and mobilizing and getting things done. And uh, essentially, I think that the true principles of leadership and real leadership got lost in the industrial age. Yeah. And you know, there there's an org a couple. You know, the U.S. military understands that because when when Lincoln on leadership first came out, the the first group to uh, Yep. Embrace the book was the Marine Corps. Yeah, that's how I came across and it. And then, right. yep. yeah, then the Air Force picked it up, and then the other services picked it up, and football coaches picked it up, and businesses didn't pick it up. And I kept telling the publisher, "This is not a business book. This is this is a leadership book, and it's nonfiction, and you need to broaden the perspective." Um, so, so, what I mean, if you if you go back and you look at, uh, let's say. In the 50s, Admiral Grace Hopper, uh, Navy Admiral, who was heavily involved in forming the um, 
the Internet, basically. She, you know, if anybody invented the Internet, she did. She's very heavily involved in that, and she used to come out and rail against business managers who were always talking about business management. She said, no, 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 it's leadership. And she didn't like what they were saying because she knew what leadership was all about. And she's the one that coined the phrase, um, you manage things, but you lead people, Yeah, which was picked up by uh, Bennis and Nannis, uh, Warren Bennis and Bert Nannis. And, and they put it in their book, Leaders. Um, but that that hits the nail on the head right there. But so what's happened is that with the industrial age, you you know, we, we've seen this tremendous buildup in business where you have people working on the assembly lines and you're telling people what to do and that 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 becomes its own kind of force. And then when when uh that starts to change, the industrial age kind of fades away and we go into the global information age now where people are spread out all over the world and you can't tell them what to do because they're not right in front of you or not on the assembly line anymore, the business manager stuff doesn't work anymore. So what's happened is that the needle has been moving. If you just imagine a, a needle from the left, it's all business management, and on the right, it's all leadership. You're seeing, you're seeing the needle move more toward leadership now. That's an interesting insight. And, and that, that's... That's the difference, in, in my view. Yeah, it's an interesting insight, and I and I just was sitting there thinking, you're absolutely right. You know, the stuff that uh, Frederick Taylor introdu- introduced, you know, in the Industrial Revolution and that kind of scientific management theory, you're right. Even though it's kind of been debunked in so many ways for such a long time, it's still prevalent. It's still with us even today in so many forms or fashion. I never really thought about it in that terms until you, until you mentioned it, but you're absolutely right. That, well, uh, you, still have, you still have a lot of executives in corporate America who – were raised on those principles. That's what made them successful. That's what uh, got them promoted. That's what made them wealthy. And and they there are a lot of people who just don't want to change. You know how it is. I mean, it's part of what leadership is 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 changing things. It's, leaders are change agents. And there are a lot of people in corporate America who don't want to change. And I, and I think what's happening is, and I've seen this now for the last ten or fifteen years, is that. Younger people are embracing the more of a leadership role and uh, leadership principles and philosophy than they are strict brute management. If you want to, if I could, if I could use that phrase, and so that's why the needle is moving gradually as younger people uh, move up the, the corporate ladder and start uh, seeing things change. And then you know you get you get some of these new companies in there, you know, like Google and Facebook and things like that who are who are led by younger people, and they think differently. And I think that it's more of a leadership thing if you look at how they actually interact with people in these corporations than than some of the older companies. Well, certainly leadership certainly applies to to so many things. You're absolutely right. It's not about just succeeding in business or becoming more efficient or or increasing the bottom line. It, it, It permeates in every aspect of your life. And I think that, to me, um, kind of what I heard you say, and I agree with you, studying the founding fathers and everybody else, it's just they understood that leadership applied to every aspect of your life, and it was based on, again, no principles that anybody invented. They just existed. You know, if I, if I look at the founding fathers, they just, well, you know, the founding of the country was based on that. These are just principles that just exist. They just are. Um, there's a natural law of uh, an order of things and leadership to me kind of falls in that realm. What's your thought on that? 
Well, I think there's a, you know, I just, I just think that, 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 that human nature is such that, that there are a lot of people who are, who are natural leaders, and then there are a lot of people who are not natural leaders who are more natural dictators. And they, they tend to tell people what to do as opposed to mobilize them and lead them and uh, inspire them, I guess is a better word. And um, when I started, I, I was not a natural leader, and I had to learn uh, about how to deal with people better and learn the difference between management and leadership. I, my inclinations were to treat people better, but they were teaching me something different. So that's one of the reasons that I stuck with with studying Lincoln and eventually got the book published. So what's next for you? What are you excited about? Uh, what are you are you working on anything new, or is there a, you know what, what's next on the leadership front with you? Well, I'm actually uh, just wrapping up a book with uh, you know I've done uh, quite a few uh, collaborations, um, and I was asked to do a collaboration with George Bodenheimer, who is the former president chairman of the board of ESPN, and uh, we've got it. Uh, his book is coming out in um, May of next year, and it's uh, it's about business leadership, and it's it also combines the story of how uh, George started in the mailroom with uh, ESPN in um, 1981 when ESPN was only two years old, and he rose up from um, driving Big Vital around town to uh, being Dick's boss. Uh, and the president of ESPN, and along the way, uh, George basically transformed that company and made it to what it is today. Wow. It's a great story. Yeah, it sounds um, very interesting and fun to read. Yeah, it'll be called, it's called uh, Every Town is a Sports Town, and uh, it's been published by uh, Grand Central Publishing in New York, and like I said, it'll be out in, the, in, uh, in um, May for Father's Day. Oh, great. Look forward to all of that. Well, guys, how can people get in touch with you? How can they find you? Uh, give a quick plug to where people can reach out to you. Well, uh, I guess the best way to do it, you can, you can go onto my website, donaldtphillips.com, and, and shoot me an email from there. Um, that's not, that, I'm not going to give my phone number out. <laughs> no, I understand that, yeah. Well, I'll have links to the to the website, and again, so many great books out there from Lincoln, the Founding Fathers, but also, you know, Vince Lombardi. We didn't talk about that. You know, um, you know, you talk about uh, Judge Duke, K. Judge K. Yeah. Duke's amazing kind of uh, run from two thousand two thousand one. Talking to, for basketball fans out there, that about the Coast Guard, about disasters. Uh, there's all you talk about Clinton. I was going to, I should have talked to you about that. I need to have you back and talk about that one. That I need to read that one first, but, uh, man, and I love your style. Oh, we can do this again sometime. I'd be happy to. Absolutely. And again, I love your style. You have a great way of telling stories. And if there's any history buffs out there, you got to check out Don's stuff because it's, it's just some of the best out there. And, um, again, it's on the Marine Corps reading list. That's how I came across Lincoln on leadership back in the nineties. And, uh, what a fascinating uh, conversation it's been. I'm so glad to have met you, and I look forward to doing this again. It's It's been a pleasure, Richard. I'd uh, be more than willing to talk to you again. All right. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. 
Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.